Good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning to share God's word. These words, spoken by the aged Bob Dylan, begin the 2005 Martin Scorsese documentary about Dylan's life, No Direction Home. I had ambitions to set out and find, like an odyssey, going home somewhere, set out to find this home that I'd left a while back and couldn't remember exactly where it was. But I was on my way there. I was born very far from where I'm supposed to be, so I'm on my way home. Especially spoken in Dylan's raspy tones, these words resonate deep in our beings. Our lives are a journey, a sojourn, a kind of pilgrimage. We're not where we're meant to be, and so we're headed home. Stories of pilgrimage touch us deeply because they ring in the depths of our longings, our deepest desires. We feel inside a longing for intimacy, for purpose, for beauty, for wholeness. We sense that it must be out there somewhere, and we love stories of people trying to find it. We feel acute yearning as Jack Kerouac journeys to understand who he is. Or we feel our spirits rise as we walk along with Frodo and Sam as they journey the breadth of Middle Earth and discover their true purpose. This morning, I want us to walk along and learn from a pilgrim, the author of Psalm 84. The psalm is one of the Psalter's songs of Zion, a song that describes the experience of ancient Israelites who living outside of Jerusalem would make regular or semi-regular long-distance journeys to worship at the great temple in the nation's capital city. These trips were fairly infrequent, potentially happening around once a year for the average Israelite, but could have happened up to three times a year for the three central festivals of the religious calendar, Passover, Pentecost, and Sukkot. The psalm is a song of profound pilgrimage and of profound longing. The place where the psalmist desires to dwell, these temple courts are desired fervently as the psalmist expects to enjoy the communion of Yahweh. The psalm puts a mirror to our hearts. It asks, what is the depth and direction of your deepest longing? It puts a mirror up to our hearts and asks, are you resisting the temptation to veer off the path? Are you holding your course to Zion? Are you persevering to the place where you will enjoy the communion of your father? We begin our exploration of this psalm with this longing so raw, so in our face in this song. If you're uncomfortable with the language of desire, the language of longing, this might be a psalm that challenges you. The psalm is overflowing with powerful, unapologetic longing. The psalmist does not hold back. How much loved is this place, this place of your dwelling? My whole being has yearned, been exhausted with the longing for the courts of the Lord, this place where you dwell. Now my heart, my inward existence, and my flesh, my body, yes, the entirety of my being, sings out for joy to the living God. Let's notice two things in these opening verses. First, the depth of the longing, but also the direction of the longing. First, it's depth. As I've, I've noted in paraphrasing these verses, the way I paraphrase them, the longing occupies the entirety of the psalmist's being. 
The word often translated as soul in verse two is better expressed as my very being or my whole being. In traditional Hebrew poetic parallelism, that word is then emphasized and clarified in the next half verse with the phrase, my heart and my flesh. Yes, not just my inward reality, my thinking and feeling being, but my body, my physical being resonates with the longing. Belonging extends to include all the inward faculties as well. We're not here considering just raw emotion or a strong urge. This is a willful thinking feeling, as we would put it as much about the mind as the heart. So it's a deep longing across body and spirit, across thinking and feeling. But it's not only deep, it's also directed. This is not a vague and powerful feeling that you might get from watching a, a cinematically shot, powerfully soundtracked commercial. 30 minutes later, you can't even remember what the commercial was for. It just left you with a powerful feeling, a feeling that your life was incomplete in some way. The kind, that kind of longing can be pointed anywhere. This longing, the psalmist longing, in contrast, shoots like an arrow. Its goal is exact, explicit, intentional. It is to enter the presence of the living God, as verse two makes clear. If we're going to grapple with the real nature of this longing in the fullness of its depth and direction, we need to bring to the forefront a foundational assumption that forms the water the psalm is swimming in. It is possibly the central, most basic statement of our faith, that life, True, full, feet in the ocean, hugged by a child, champagne for breakfast, dancing at midnight life is found in God and God alone. As the Book of Common Prayer, our prayer book has it, he is the one who to know is life eternal. This is life everlasting, life on life on life. This is at the heart of the psalmist longing to enter the presence of and to dwell with God, who is the very source of life. Whether you recognize it or not, this is the most true thing about you. You long for communion with this one, who is the source of life, not mediated, not secondhand, but to dwell with him directly. As the psalm has it, to be a bird nested at his altar, to be close continually. It is the consummation of our very being. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, who dwell where you dwell. There's a key question now that we need to consider. I expect it may not have occurred to you yet because like so many familiar, well-worn truths, we accept propositionally and keep them in our back pocket and never expect the reality of what they speak of to break into our normal everyday lives. The question is this, if communion with my father is actually my truest, deepest longing, why do I not know this longing frequently and pervasively? Why am I content to go days or weeks without giving much of a thought to him at all? let alone to seek out life-giving communion with him. 
Why is this fervent longing for the living God so hidden in my life? The psalmist has two answers to this question. The text suggests two threats to our longing and pilgrimage. Two threats that attack the depth and direction of our longing for the dwelling place of God. The psalmist takes them each seriously, so seriously that each threat is accompanied by the description of a blessed way, a way that directly counters the attack and defeats it. We'll consider each pair in turn, the threat and the blessed way. The first threat is the Valley of Baca, found in verse 6. As they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The word Baca most likely refers to the balsam tree, a kind of tree that must have grown in this valley that the pilgrim journeyed through on his way to Jerusalem. The balsam is a tree sometimes known for growing in dry and arid climates. This is a dry valley, an inhospitable place, a place where life has a hard time flourishing. It's also worth noting that the name of this tree in Hebrew, Baca, sounds like the Hebrew verb that means to weep. Potentially because of a physical feature of the tree, maybe the way it expelled resin, it had been named with this name that sounds like weeping. The psalmist may have chosen to name the valley for this tree, both to connote dryness, lifelessness, but also to shade poetically toward weeping, a valley of suffering, a veil of tears. There are many valleys of Baca on the pilgrimage of our lives. Seasons when former springs of God's presence seem to dry up completely. Seasons when we are overwhelmed by the weight of circumstance. When we cannot bear another day of isolation, another dinner alone, another day on the hamster wheel of caring for children or working virtually. When you cannot take another trip to the hospital, another day of waiting for test results, or another church service in front of a screen. The dryness and weeping of these seasons are a direct assault on our longing. And I want to suggest particularly on the depth of our longing like cutting a hole in the bottom of a bucket, extended seasons of dryness, of feeling like God is distant and we don't know the way to him, are a war of attrition. Our desire drains away and any new water seems to disappear quickly. The Valley of Baca is only made to seem dynamic on the movie screen. In real life, it is a slog, a slow dissipation. But there is a blessed way through this valley, a way the psalmist shows us. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The word here is strength or refuge. That is, blessed is the one upon traversing Baca who cries out, wails to the Lord of hosts for protection, for safety, for covering from the beating sun. If our strength, our refuge is in God in these seasons, it cannot be in ourselves. Our instinct in survival is always towards self-reliance. 
This is not the blessed way. If we are going to survive Baca, we must relinquish our self-reliance for an absolute dependence on God as our only refuge. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And here's the payload. In whose heart are the highways to Zion? Blessed is the one in whose heart are the highways to Zion. The surface meaning of these words is that by regular pilgrimage, the way to God's presence, to Zion, has been memorized, fully internalized. The pilgrim does not need to depend on the map of re or reasoning through directions. Every step of the path is known, well-tried, sure. It has been written on the heart through constant traverse. This is the child who, waking from a nightmare in the middle of the night, does not need to turn on the lights in order to run to her parents' bedside. We are looking here at the effect of a lifelong discipline of entering the presence of God, of making the pilgrimage. Finding strength or refuge in the presence of God is not a new idea that the psalmist first thinks of upon entering Baca but has been a habitual aspect of daily living, a habit that has left a mark, a map on the heart. When we pass through the great bakas of our lives, will we be disoriented, tempted to turn back, or will we make it through because previously, day in and day out, we have learned our way through the small bakas of daily to-do lists, the grind of work, the feeling that they're just isn't time to arrive in the presence of God. By constant use in daily discipline, the longing for God and the highway to Zion can be carved in our hearts like a canyon across a vast plain. In considering this, we are here facing off with one of the great lies that our culture tells us about the nature of longing and desire. The lie that longing and desire, as we happen to find them when we look inwardly, are inviolable facts of our existence. Though they're different for each person, knowing your true longings is like discovering that two plus two equals four. If I look inwardly and I do not find the longing for God, I walk away. It's not what I really want. It's just not for me. By contrast, the biblical picture is far more organic, befitting our own nature as organic beings. Our longing for God and the ability to enter his communion is like a seedling tomato plant, whose very nature is to grow tall and produce abundant fruit. But whether it does so or not is the result of cultivation. It's not a foregone conclusion. The highway to God's presence must be regularly trod, the map written over years. Only in this case can Baca be a place where instead of our longing being completely dissipated, we find it overflowing in new springs. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. This is the strange and great irony. Baca may be a place of total dissipation, but it can also be the very place where new life springs forth in abundance. I'm not saying that makes it easy or dispels the pain from this reality, but it means that Baca is not the last word when the highways to Zion are carved on our hearts.
So this is the first threat that we have to be aware of, the Valley of Baca, the season of dryness or suffering that can only be endured as we seek refuge in God and rely on his strength. The strength left by the discipline of traveling the path of God's presence day to day. The second threat found in the final stanza of the poem is an assault of a more direct variety, dwelling in the tents of wickedness. If the Valley of Baca is a slow drain of a war of attrition, the tent of the wicked is a direct grab at the steering wheel. While Baca attempts to drain the deep wells of our longing for God, the tents of the wicked attempt to divert the direction of our longing entirely. They say a different end, a different goal is actually what will fulfill you, what will satisfy you. It's worth noting first that these are the tents of the wicked. They are also traveling a path on the road, on a pilgrimage. It makes their appeal to us more insidious, more difficult to discern. They don't say, stop your searching entirely, just rest a while. Instead, the tents of the unfaithful inculcate us with different desires, desires that will lead us, perhaps slowly and over long periods of time, off the way to the dwelling place of God, to a different location. These desires that we find in the tents of unfaithfulness are not in themselves attractive. They are only able to woo us insofar as they co-opt our one true desire. They have to pretend, at least at first, to be heading towards Zion. They say, you know that longing you feel deep down? Try this. This will satisfy you. These often passionate desires masquerade as our deepest longing, when in reality they can't deliver on their promises. We're told in any number of ways that the desire for success, power, comfort, sex, material gain, you name it, are worthy of the entirety of our being. In reality, these desires, when not subordinated to and ordered within our God longing, burn like gas on the surface of water, like a sugar high. Bright, loud, but gone as fast as they've appeared, leaving our longing unsatisfied, wanting more and more and more. This is the stuff of addiction. You can kid yourself, you can pretend that you aren't affected by this type of bottomless pit desire, but the reality is we are all prone to it. Some of our longings are just more socially acceptable than others. What is obvious as a lack of soundness in the alcoholic or the drug addict is the same dynamic at work when we return again and again to the drug of other people's opinions of us, career success, food, exercise, intellectual attainment. There is nothing good in God's creation that cannot be twisted and falsely pretend to take this central role of fulfillment in your life. So how do we nullify the tempting call of the tents of unfaithfulness? The psalmist points us to the blessed way through these tents. Verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This might strike you as overly simplistic, too easy. Trusting God, after all, is another well-worn, overworn, tired-from-misuse concept in our faith arsenal. I would challenge us to consider what it really means in the moments of temptation 
to trust that God speaks truly when he says, follow my way and live. This is the substance of trust where the rubber hits the road to truly believe that a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere. Let me challenge you in this by asking you a question. What do you reach for when you're stressed? Often our stress, our anxiety, are training grounds for dwelling in the tents of unfaithfulness. Do you reach for the affirmation you get on social media? Throw yourself into the safe and comfortable challenges of work Or maybe you look for the easy and dulling release of tuning in and turning off to any myriad numbers of entertainment that we have at our fingertips. TV, podcasts, hours and hours of YouTube videos. While these distractions or even noble endeavors can seem harmless or even good to us in the moment, when they become what we trust in, what we run to, they teach us to dwell in tents that are not heading to Zion that will not lead us to appear before the living God. We have to wake up, see with clear eyes their impact on our longings. They're not neutral, but are in fact carving a different pathway on the face of our hearts. In the words of Justin Vernon of the band Bon Iver, I've been caught in the fire. I've been carved in fire without knowing what the truth is. We must walk on this blessed way of trusting God past the tense of unfaithfulness, plugging our ears if need be. It is the only way of resistance that will bring us to appear before the living God. Perhaps these words hit home this morning, but feel like a heavy load. Maybe you've gotten turned around in the Valley of Baca. You're beginning to faint from dehydration. The only way you can hear this psalm is with deep regret, sadness, or anger. Why didn't I learn the way to God's presence more fully in the past? Where is he now? I cannot find him. Or maybe you're dwelling in a tent of unfaithfulness and just waking up now. Maybe you're afraid of moving out of that tent. Where else can I go for comfort? What else can make me feel okay? What else can dull the pain? It's not the psalmist's intention to lay a heavy burden on us, and it's not my intention this morning in the midst of this hard time. We need to hear good news. And thanks be to God, there is good news to hear. The psalm speaks of a God who bestows favor, and honor, who withholds no good thing. The text speaks powerfully of the psalmist's longing, but also points more implicitly to the reality of a loving father who longs powerfully for his child to enter his presence to find life. His longing is stronger, deeper, more directed than we can possibly fathom. There is no better evidence of that than this. The dwelling place of God, the place of his presence, that place that you so deeply and fully long for in your inner being has a name, 
and he has taken up residence in Baca. He has pitched his tent in the precincts of unfaithfulness. The God of the universe was not content to see you waste away. He did not stand idly by, but came close. He comes close now. Like that great father who saw his son from a long way off and came running to embrace him, to wrap him in a garment of love, so he has run to you. He is running to you now. He is embracing you now. When your longing for him waned, his longing for you was constant. When you turned off his way, he fixed his very thought and intention on you. When your pilgrimage became a wandering in the desert, he journeyed the chasm between heaven and earth to reach you, to be with you. Friends, know the mystery. The eternal son of the father became flesh and dwelt among us. In the words of Charles Wesley's great Christmas hymn, God the invisible appears. God the blessed, the great I am, sojourns in this veil of tears. And Jesus is his name. He speaks to us in Baca. And in our tense of unfaithfulness, he says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Friends, he does not want to withhold his presence in this season. He wants to lavish it on you in abundance in the midst of this pilgrimage. I don't know how, I don't know when, but cry out to him as your only strength, as your only refuge. Keep crying out to him. Trust him. Believe that his ways are the ways of life. Allow your heart to be carved with new paths, paths written in daily pilgrimage. Sit in silence until he shows himself in his love. He is not far away. This valley of Baca will be a place of springs. He will release you from the tent of your slavery. Zion has come near. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we cry out to you. We thank you that you have come near. We thank you for the reality of your incarnation. Show us to yourself. Show us yourself to us in our hearts. In Jesus' name.